0: and welcome to the Green and Gold Rugby Show for another week. uh, The show that's getting you over the game line on the hottest topics of Australian rugby. I'm Rugby Reg and we're coming to you via E.ON Sports Radio once again and also from our website greenandgoldrugby.com which is the home of all things rugby in Australia. Joining me tonight as per usual is our very own Mr. Gagger. Matt Rowley, how are you Matt?
1: Mate, I'm great. I'm fired up. Halfway to a grand slam.
0: Yeah, epic, isn't it? We're, we're doing, I think we've met our uh, previous Grand Slam pre tour expectations. So oh, we'll yeah. see how we go from here. Great one. Um, but uh, the bad news is there's no Hugh tonight, so apparently saving himself up for the Irish game. So we're <laughs> going to go offshore for our fill in and welcome back a, a gag, a favourite, uh, calling in from the land of Trump. We've got Jamie Miller. How are you, Jamie? Hey, Reg, how are you doing? Yeah, good mate, good to have you on board again, everything's standing there, no, you know, nothing's being torn down, no fires being set, no protests marching down the street yet, Never. nothing's changed yet?
2: Ah, uh, I don't know, it's early days, let's not, uh, let's not jump to conclusions, all those things could happen <laughs> by next week's podcast, so.
0: You sound a little bit weary of the whole situation already, mate.
2: Uh we have Trump signs on our street, so.
0: Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, let's not go there. Hey, mate, let's give us a quick fill-in. What have you been doing since we've last had you on the show, mate? What's been keeping you busy rugby-wise, mate?
2: Uh, I've been refereeing the pro rugby tournament over here in the US, um, America's official first season of proper professional rugby, um, yep. which has been pretty eye-opening. So.
0: <laughs> okay, well, we might get you on another time and we get a bit more chat about that because we have... Sure. Uh, it's been a massive... Weekend of rugby, it's probably you know it's one of those huge weekends where there's there seems to be a thousand internationals on, um, all the way from the top to the bottom. So uh, we're going to touch on the the highlights of that weekend with our five burning questions. Uh, And once again, they are: uh, Was it a better Wallaby win versus Scotland than the performance over Wales? Question two: uh, Who caught the eye for the Wallabies, good or bad? Question three: What can we expect from the French Test this weekend? And question four, we're halfway through the Grand Slam. Is it going to be a Grand Slam or will it be a grand flop, uh, to quote Mr. Gagger there? And uh, question five, what was the biggest talking point from this Maths of International program this weekend, uh, weekend past? So lots of rugby played. What was the big talking point? So we'll go through that one by one as well. Um, but let's start with it. Uh, Matt, and straight to you, mate. Do you rate that a better wallaby performance uh, than the Welsh test, considering opposition and so on? Mate, no, look, I, I, I can't actually. Um,
1: I struggle with that. Look, at the end of the day, we we won it um, Won it at the end and it kind of felt like, I mean, that last three minutes um, or so when the ref was doing his best to leave the door open for um, Scotland, you know, to, to have that discipline where we were just, you know, around between the two 40-meter lines was, was really, really impressive. So that was good. It was good to see. And that was something we'd seen throughout the World Cup, you know, those... Um, being able to track a match down and then being, closed, being able to close it out. So that was really good. But, I mean, otherwise, I really, really um, struggled. To You know, I, I was just looking at the stats, actually, um, just a, a little while back. Hang on, let me just get them, get them open again. Yeah, here they are. I was looking through through these stats, and it's hard to see how we were the winning team. I mean, it was three tries to two to Scotland. Um, it was the penalties who, who got us over the, over the, over the line, really. Um, and Bernard Foley had his kicking boot on, um, thankfully. Um, yeah. You know, the, 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 the Scots ran more metres with much with fewer runs and far fewer rucks. Seven clean breaks to six. 16 defenders beaten to 13. 12 offloads to 11. Um, we con, we t- conceded more turnovers, 13 to 9. <laughs>
0: I mean, Do they include all our failed offloads in that stat? Because, geez, we, we threw a few that oh, probably yeah. went more to Scottish hand than Aussie hand. No, exactly. I mean, we we, we missed more tackles. So
1: our tackling rate was – it was 90%, which is good. Theirs was 92%. So, I mean, look, you know, you look all the way down. It's apart from discipline, which is, I guess, I touched on for that final three minutes where – um, they conceded 12 to our nine, and um, I think they should have conceded a few more. But look, you know, I, you, you look at all of that and you've got to say, geez, you know, um, apart for the final win, it, it really did look like uh, that it ran a, a lot the Scots way. And I've, I felt we felt very vulnerable at times. Whenever, whenever the, the Scots had the ball in our sort of red zone, you just felt like there was a try coming. Um, you know that that was that was kind of tough to watch. I felt, and I think everyone was throwing and swearing
0: at the TV. Surely throughout the whole thing, Jamie, is that your? Re- I mean, I mean, does that surely just say that Scotland played pretty damn well, and we did we did well to win? Oh, I thought
2: I really agree with Matt. I think we were our own worst enemy in this game. Um, you know, I, I mentioned on Twitter, but I'll say it again. I think this game was kind of like a microcosm of everything that is so frustrating about watching Checkers Wallabies is. It just had a bit of everything. It had sort of this very elaborate attack. It had this constant effort to try to raise the tempo of the game. It had this defense that's surprisingly soft. I mean, that try that Gray scored where he just ran as a one-out hitman close to the line and walked through three tackles was, you know, embarrassing. As was Hugh Jones' try where he walked through Kuradrani's tackle. Okay. And then just to sort of punctuate it, just to like really emphasize that we'd seen this pattern before, there was that yellow card at a totally crucial time of the game that was completely pointless. I'd love to see the stats on how many yellow cards have been committed by Checker Wallabies versus McKenzie Wallabies or Dean's Wallabies. Uh, I don't think it would reflect very well on, on Checker, but... You know, at the end of the ga- at the end of the day, this is the sort of game we usually lose, and we won it. So, I mean, that's the one positive to take out of it is that we actually did manage to grind out a win. And yeah, as Matt said, those last couple of minutes, it it really did look like the referee wanted to give them a penalty that would have been kickable to win the game. And we we our discipline was very very good those last two three minutes.
0: Yeah. So, Jamie, I want to get back to that. Story So I've got a bit of an alternate view from you guys um, that we'll get to. But but your theory there about um, Checker and the Checker teams and Yellow Cards, so do you think that's just uh, a game plan, him wanting to to, um, to push the line a little bit harder, or as Nathan Lyon calls it, Nathan Lyon, the Australian cricketer, calls it, headbutt the line?
2: Yeah, I think it's just a byproduct of the aggression of the, you know, don't take a backwards step. But I'm not sure that the that it's very productive. I mean, we, we do seem to concede a lot of yellow cards, um, you know, often to some unlikely players, and they're just for pointless, pointless things. I mean, you know, and it's just, it's it, you know, that yellow card could have really cost us the game right there and then, and it was just totally pointless. It was bad technique, bad timing. Even if he executes it well, the, the, the whistle's already gone. Like, there's nothing to achieve there. It's just the sort of moment that, you know, can just throw away a game for no gain whatsoever. And, you know, I mean, hopefully at some stage, someone other than Checker is going to come in and, and get them to have a look at the stats and and have a look at how we could, you know, be a more effective team and stop shooting ourselves in the foot, which seems to be the lesson of 2016, is the Wallabies continually shooting themselves in the foot and hopefully stop doing that next year.
0: Yeah, indeed. Look, my comments to this, and I, and I guess uh, two comments, and I'll start with... The way we end. I always love to see an Australian team, you know, winning this clutch with a clutch play at the end. Um, we never were in the lead of this game until that four, you know, that seventy-six minute try by Kurandrani Drani. Um, now that says something in itself, I, I guess, and we can chat about that. But I love a team, and, and this is it, maybe it's just because you know I have such affection for that team of the late nineties, early two thousands, where this is how we won games. But I, I love a team who can hang in there and never give up. And, and fight to the death and, and pull out that pressure play, which Kurandrani did for us and has done for us in the past, and indeed the Brumbies. Um, look, my reading of it is just I just didn't rate that Welsh team. I, I, I'm looking at the opposition here. I, d- I thought that Welsh team was, was really average last week. They brought nothing to the table. They didn't threaten us um, at all um and i think they're almost you know Alberta's out of the test window so they didn't have all their key players but i i worry that they're a, a team on the decline scotland however i think i think the opposite i think i was really impressed with that team now <laughs> are they equivalent of, of england or even ireland i think there's a fair way to go there and that's probably got some concerns for later questions um but yeah, I thought they played really well. I thought their back row was sensational. And you know, while we lost Coleman, they lost um, uh, Richie Gray early, and also um, uh, was it Wilson their their number eight? So you know, impact there for them. Um, but I, I thought their back row, all of it, looks like sort of little fetches, were fantastic. The Greys were fantastic they Work rate, what is it, forty-seven tackles? I think the Gray brothers were, which is almost a, a third, maybe even a bit more of the whole team. Um, look, I, I thought – and you compare Wales, who we haven't lost to since, what, 2009, and Scotland, who we've split our uh, – this gives us an, a lead of 3-2 over the last five enc- five encounters. So I'm going to rate it as a better performance than Wales um, on the basis of the opposition. Um, and And the Gray
2: brothers were huge. I mean, you know, 50 tackles of Gray or whatever. They just seemed to be (laughs) everywhere, those two
1: guys. (laughs) (laughs) That is disturbing. Look,
2: I I, I, I think you're right,
1: Reg. I think also um, Scotland were just really, really well coached. Strange to see Vern Vern Cotter going, to be honest, Um, you know, with the sort of results he's been getting from them, or at least against us. Um, I think uh, in his – Brian Smith, I think in his article for us, this, after the weekend talked about how Tatsy Taylor um, mm. I think would have had a massive impact. Um, their def, you know, the Scottish defence was huge. They put a lot of pressure on us. Tatsy Taylor knew exactly where to direct that. He, you know, he knows Will Gagnier's game inside out um, and he knew Bernard Foley, you know, the pressure he needed to put on him. Um, I thought there's some great analysis there sort of highlighting it was, that. was, yeah. Um, I also felt, look, you know, uh, it wouldn't be a Greening Old Rugby podcast without me whinging about referees. Um, look, yep. I, I I don't think the referee was in any way, um, you know, biased in any way. Um, but, I, you know, he obviously just decided he wasn't going to ref any breakdown. And I think the Scots came out and adapted better to that than we did. Um, and so, you know, that... Scott number six. I mean, there wasn't a break, there wasn't a ruck where the Scots didn't have a hand on it. And I I can't remember, you know, they never even got told to let go of the ball. Or Gray just lay on our side of the ruck and, you know, refused to roll away the whole time. And that really slowed down the ball and had a massive um, impact on what we were trying to do and gave them, you know, the ability to get that line speed. So, you know, I think a combination of, um, I think Tatsy had it, you know, figured out. I think, as you said, the back row played Brilliantly well, and I think they played to the ref really, really well as well. And it wasn't until like kind of the back end that they started to get um, a little bit undone, probably as fatigue set in, and maybe the ref thought he he actually had to start refing a
0: little bit. But does that kind yeah. of swings at roundabouts, Matt? Because and Jamie, you could probably answer this as a ref mate. You know, you, you do talk about that more looser interpretation at the ruck, and indeed Scotland benefited there by having you know almost three sevens on the park and in. in, in uh, Barclay and um, Hardy and Watson, but yeah, it was probably Pocock's most dominant performance at the Ruck 2, I reckon, all year. I mean, at least since since the England series or since he's come back from injury. So, you know, a bit of swings and roundabouts there in terms of uh, he gets a bit more lee- leeway as well.
2: Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it was a very Northern Hemisphere style of refing and You know, the refs that we often play under, you know, guys like Craig Joubert would have looked at that and thought it was ridiculous. I mean, it just, the ball was so slow coming out of every ruck. But, you know, it's also about ref management. The the penalty count in the second half was 8-2 to to the Wallabies, and the Wallabies weren't able to keep track of those numbers and let the ref know so that a yellow card had to be forthcoming. I mean, a yellow never came for Scotland, and most of that last 30 minutes was played in their half. So that was just penalty after penalty at the ruck, in their own territory, no yellow card. I mean, ref management has not been a strength of ours this year at all.
0: No. Mm. Well,
2: we, what we seem to have gone from one to the
1: other. I mean, it seems to me that Stephen Moore's just completely backed off and said, mm. I, I, just, yes, yep, exactly. I just need to shut up for a while. And he might be right, to be honest. Um, he, maybe he just can't find the, whatever it is in between. Um, but I mean, at least he didn't have the ref telling him to shut up and leave him alone. So I mean, <laughs> I, I guess that's a, that's that's some sort of a step forward. But you're right. Yeah, you, you, when
2: the refs when the refs blocking your captain on Facebook, you know it's a problem. <laughs> <you know. laughs> unfriend Stephen. Unfriend. No, I think Steve just uh, poking him. I think they've reported. Stop him. following
0: me. Yeah. <laughs> but th- th- does that coincide with Steve Moore's return to form? Because I think he's been. And maybe yeah. maybe we're getting to our next question here, and, and let's jump straight to it. Who caught the eye, good or bad? And I'll jump straight to Stephen Moore. I thought Stephen Moore was fantastic, again, um, this game. His work right was, was massive. Um, and, again, he played the whole game. And, I, you know, mate, I, I will call it and say he's been close to the player of the tour. He doesn't stand out like a, uh, a an Izzy or a, or a Foley, but... I think his work rate's been sensational. He's running games back. He's, he's making metres. His tackling um, uh, rate is first class. I, I think he's been um, back to, to season best form and probably his best form for a couple of years.
1: I think that's really interesting. I, it's in, um, A, I wonder if that thing of uh, not having to get into the rest face and have that confrontation means he can just think about his game. Um, I, I wonder, but... I don't know if it's going to be all of that because he just seems, to me, in the, for uh, up until this tour, he just looks stiff. Like, you know, the number yeah. of times you saw him in the background just falling over um, yep. because he almost didn't seem to be able to, to move properly. And he just seems so much more lithe and athletic, kind of back to his own form. I, I agree with you. He seems a bit different player at the moment. And, yeah, you wonder if that's just because they've taken the pressure off him and said, mate, you don't have to be in the ref's face the whole time. I don't know.
0: Yeah. OK, so from same question to you, mate, who who caught the eye either way, good, positive, indifferent? Yeah, look, mate, um, I think
1: it's a, it's a real conundrum. I was having a chat with a mate tonight about this um, around back row balance. Um, I think, you know, Tamani continues to improve. I don't think he's flash. I think he's doing some hard yards. But then again, I think he's also, you know, he's not... What's the word I'm looking for? He's not going backwards. He's he's making those yards in the hard situations. He's putting in big hits and big clearances. I think he'll just improve. I mean, he's only at, what, four tests, yeah. or whatever it is now. So it's great to see him continue to build. But then you get into the funny bit, you know, is it Pocock or Hooper or what kind mm. of mix up there? The, the guy who stood out for me as I watched, and, um, you know, probably <laughs> there'll be a lot, a lot of non-New uh, South Wales supporters groaning as I say this, but I thought Michael Hooper... I mean, he was just um, absolutely everywhere. Um, and it's really interesting. Again, the conversation I was having with a mate tonight was sort of saying, look, he's, he's clearly not on the ball. I'm not even sure he was necessarily over the ball um, that much, but he is just so important to us in our defensive structure. He's that guy who shoots up, yeah, sometimes he gets wrong-footed, you know, maybe one in and every three or so. But for those other two, he sets the advantage line 10 yards behind where the um, opposition was starting at before and it's just it's a you know that's the sort of thing that you know that's what kept them marching backwards over their um, halfway line you know in those last three minutes um, was you know the speed from Hooper and I just you know I think he just brings so much energy and dynamism to the team and he just continues to do it match in match out for 80 minutes it's 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 pretty breathtaking and then as we see, you know, in Wales, he was next to the ball carrier and was at all four tries. Um, and again, this week, he's always there on hand. He, How he does it, it's, it's, it's hard to know.
0: He's a bit of a sheepdog too. This is what I saw about Hooper. I saw him once sort of fly out of the line. And, and as you say, he sort of got stepped around. I was like, you know, I was ready to be the Queenslander and, mm. and jump on him. But what he, he does, he kind of herds the defence. And I remember someone pointed it out in a test early this season, it might have been even the third Bledisloe or something, where he raced out of the line and it was a short blind side. And what it effectively does is it forces the defender back towards the try line, where Pocock was defending. And Pocock made the tackle and the steal. And, and I don't know if it's planned or if it's you know it's just coincidence. But you, you're right. I mean, he he at his best, he's he's racing out of the line. And he's making those big ticks, a big tackles. But I think he is also, um, you know, using it quite strategically to to to. To, form the, to, to force the attack where he wants it to go, back on the inside or, or wherever. He's a, he's a, I have to admit, he's an amazing player. He looks like one of those bloody under-11 players that just got all this energy. He just doesn't stop. Yeah, and I think it leaves people with a... You can see where Checker's
1: headache is because I think if you took, oh, gotcha. if you took him out now, you'd lose all that dynamism in, in, in defence. I mean, Poe is a fantastic tackler, but he's not as an aggressive tackler. No, I mean, almost no one in that team's kind of got that... Dynamism and pace that he has, that Hooper has, and so I think if you took him out, you'd find that the whole defensive, attacking defensive structure would really change. Um, And so, and and you know, I wonder if we just become much more of a passive team, and teams would start to roll over us a little bit more. So, um, and I think also the ball would would speed up. So, it's a bit of a headache because then you don't want to lose Poey. I mean, there's almost no one better on the ball, right? And um, he's an he's an amazing influence on the
2: team.
0: So you can see where this headache comes. What about you, Jamie? Who caught the eye for you, man?
2: A few players. (laughs) A few players caught the eye. I thought almost everyone did some good stuff and then some bad stuff. I thought uh, Foley had a good game. His goal kicking was ultimately the difference between winning and losing. So that's good. Um, I still think long term we need to be thinking about someone else goal kicking who kicks at a higher consistent rate. But he had a good game and, you know, the Scots were clearly trying to mess around with him and hit him just mm. after the pass each time. I mean, they were all legal, but it was, you know, some big hits. And he just kept going at the line and putting the pass on the on the money. He, he had a really good game in the face of some pretty old-school tactics from Scotland, so that was pretty good. Um, there were a lot of players who had some pretty poor games, and I think, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about that in a minute. But,
0: yeah. So all, Let's he, talk about it now, mate. I want to I hear you. Call them out. Oh, uh,
2: well... I think, you know, this was the second test in a row that Rhys Hodge got sort of played behind the forwards as the second playmaker and managed to concede an obstruction penalty. It's obviously something that is not coming naturally to him in that role. I mean, he's clearly more of a runner than a distributor. And, you know, like many other people, I think his future is at 13 rather than at 12 in the current attacking structure. And I think that's pretty obvious. But the guy who I think is in a lot of trouble at the moment is Henry Spate.
0: Yeah, okay, Uh, yeah.
2: Henry's, Henry's had a lot of opportunities and to be honest it's hard to look at the guy who's on the field at the moment and remember the guy who was so unbelievably dominant at super rugby level two years ago I mean I don't know if it's when he shaved the fro or what it was but he just doesn't look like he has the confidence at test level at all he looks like he's he's nervous he looks like he's not willing to dominate and there's enough guys coming through on the wing that his failure to produce some sparkling form is is going to cost him pretty soon, I think. Unless he can pull out something amazing in the next couple of weeks, he might be looking at twenty seventeen and being a fair way down that pecking order. You know, it's a feel for him because he's played amazingly in the past, but he's he just looks out of his depth at the moment.
0: It's what interesting, isn't it? It's interesting because he he was one of those players who we were counting down the days. to to see his um, eligibility. And, and, you know, you're right, he was tearing it up. And we were all so excited. But I think about the same time as he was declared eligible, he had... Uh, a bad injury. I can't remember if it was a broken leg or something like that, but I don't think he's, he's gotten back to full form since that, whether it be a speed or agility thing. It's kind of like this Niavali situation where we, we've counted down with that, but he's had a couple of ha- goes, and uh, in fairness, not substantial goes, but we haven't seen much there too. But despite, yeah. You, unless you're Rob Horn and you're contributing defensively you know, in close, you want a little bit more from our winger than, than what we're getting from Henry Spade at the moment, I reckon.
1: Well, he doesn't seem to be... Um factored into any moves or really. attacking play either. Like, absolutely everything revolves around Hail it Petty. Petty, um, who, again, you know, he had, a, he had another great game. Um, mm. You know, he, he continues to go from kind of strength to strength with just the odd, um, you know, spectacular uh, goof Yeah, up. yeah, yeah. Um, but... Um, you know, yeah, I mean, so whereas haylett Petty seems to be, whether he's putting himself in those situations um, or he's being put in those situations, um, he always seems to be the one who's linking up with Falau, He always seems to be the one who's finding that little inside pass in those back moves. Whereas Spate just seems to be kind of left out on the edge um, to find his own way. And he doesn't seem to be, like you are like saying, Jamie, he doesn't seem to be finding it. Having said that, according to ESPN, was it uh, ESPNscrum.com? The man who ran the most metres for Australia was Henry Spate, um, with, <laughs> with um, 58 metres off eight runs, um, versus, for example, Kurudrani had 57 metres off 13, and Hodge had 56 off 10. Um, Haylet Petty only had 42 metres, and Falau, um, if you want to talk about guys who didn't have a great game,
2: 29. Um... Did, did did Spate go for a run around Edinburgh or something after
0: the match? Because that's the only
2: way those those numbers make any sense. I mean, <laughs>
0: yeah, I can't remember any runs of night. I, 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 I'd seriously maybe they had the logging on from the halftime run back out to the middle or something like that, but I, I can't remember anything yeah. of substance. Yeah,
2: I mean, he did in the second half. He did actually come close to the ball in a first receiver capacity. I mean, he was totally anonymous against Wales, and it's obvious that the coaches thought, okay, let's try to get him into the game. And he came in close for two phases in a row and then disappeared again. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, just, I really agree with Matt that you know, they, they just don't seem to have a way of getting him into the game. They don't seem to understand what an effective blindside winger he can be. I mean, his strength has always been actually busting tackles rather than open space. He's, a, he's the sort of winger who enjoys running into people. Um, and that can be a very useful guy to have in your team. He just – he looks smaller as well to me. Again, maybe it's the fro, but the <laughs> absence thereof. But he looks smaller. He looks less dynamic and strong. Um, I don't know, but it's its sad to see. Mm.
1: What, what was interesting, I thought um, – sorry, I'm just going back to the match a little bit, but was just in the second half there, we just seemed to – we just, you know, in that um, – you know – Sort of uh, twenty minutes after half time, we seemed to—I don't know if it was a deliberate tactic—which was, I mean, it literally just went one out and pick and drives, and the width that had been doing so much for us in the first half, we just dropped. And I don't know if the idea was then to absolutely, like you said, Jamie, then take it up a notch in the last twenty, which I think they let—they obviously tried to do—but um, you know, it all just kind of fell apart in that, in that sort of um, that, that middle twenty um, or sort of say third. Uh, third quarter, um, and I, I, it was interesting. I no one seemed to be able to get you know the game by the scruff of the neck because I, I wanted to kind of come back. I guess maybe the whole fo- Foley Genia thing. I, I didn't think it yeah. worked, worked too badly. Everyone had been saying you know would that be the combo that they'd go to? Um, it went okay, um, but you know I, I thought you know kind of lost its way there in that second half when it really needed to find something.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah, it was it was dramatic, but I guess we didn't see the best of Foley. I mean, Foley was solid, but we didn't get see the best of Foley. And whether Phipps would have made any difference, I mean, it's just interesting. We went a whole hour without scoring, I and mean, we scored that first in the thirteenth minute and didn't score again until Kurandrani Plenty of opportunities, and I mentioned this before the offload thing. And that's you know, some of those offloads were the one by Genia was in the in the first half where he tried to. I don't know. I don't know if he was colour blind and, and tried to pass through three Scottish players to get to Hodge yeah. or whoever was supporting him. It was just bizarre. And even out through a couple. It, that was just a really frustrating element. And that's been something we've talked about all season is just our finishing is, you know, we get these half opportunities, but just can't sort of seal the deal with those. And, and gosh, once we get, obviously we do need it from New Zealand, but once we get to England, even Ireland, yeah. every opportunity to get points we'll need.
1: Well, look, if we're talking about standout players, can we talk about the guy who came on and won it again for us? Um, you, your favourite player, Reg, uh, Dean Mum. Um, Rob Simmons. If, you know, if he's, if he's not scoring intercept tries, he's, you know, bundling wingers with an open try line in the touch. So just thank God the
0: sub came on who, again. Who does our gifts? Who does our gifts? Because I reckon if you put a GIF of that, you'll see that that guy stood in the touch before Mum even touched him. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: but I don't think the winger would have wanted to run into touch if mum hadn't been about, able to, about to
0: tackle him heroically. Mate, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think he might have seen Gennier in cover defence or something. <laughs> yeah, no, that was, that was a good extra by mum. Um, I thought Simmons was pretty good when he came on too. But look, we might wrap up the, world, uh, the, uh, the Scottish game and look forward um, because this week we've got the French test. But uh, the good thing about French tests, Matt, they're played at a reasonable hour. I think it must be what is six o'clock kickoff time, Sydney time, perhaps that Sunday morning. Well, and that's that. You could, that's the time to crack your first beer. Crack open some beers,
1: exactly. And, indeed, and uh, breakfast beer. There's nothing like it. And we have have we got a beer offer for you. You might remember we did a bit of a craft beer deal um, a few months ago now with um, the craft beer market. We've got another one on, and it's historic. It is the um, It is the uh, Grand Slam mix case that we've got together with you. 16 Aussie craft beers. We're getting, um, obviously, warmer now, getting into summer, so they're lighter beers. They tend to be a mix of sort of lagers, pilsners, um, some pale ales. Um, You've got a bunch in there that you will recognise. Stone and wood, mountain goat, uh, vale ale is in there. Um, You've got Balmain, pale ale, a whole bunch of good stuff. And then other ones that are a little bit more interesting should we say or a little bit rarer or packaged up for you there it's 104 bucks worth of beer it is only going to cost you 84 dollars delivered to your door um so all you need to do the advertising's over the website. Um, you'll be able to find it in social. I'll also put them at the bottom of um, wherever you're getting your podcast from. But basically, if you go to uh, www.thecraftbeermarket.com.au forward slash gaga84 and on, on checkout, just put in gagr84. So um, when I say gagger I meant GAGR 84 to get these 16 fantastic Aussie craft beers delivered to your door, um, saving yourself at least 20 bucks. And so get those stuck in, um, do yourself a favour and do us one too and celebrate this, um, well, this Grand Slam that, that is on its way with us, um, you know, with a, with a nice cold beer.
0: Excellent. 84 obviously being your graduation year, Matt, that's the significance sort of... Jagger 84? Uh, my birth date, Matt, yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, good, good, good eight, 18, eight,
2: 1884. <laughs> yeah.
0: Good stuff. Uh, thanks to the craft beer guys, I got my card in this week and uh, can't wait for the weekend to rip into it. Um, but let's talk French test now. We've got, uh, we've we've done with the Home Nations, we've popped across the, the ditch for a little while through the channel, I imagine, and uh, we've popped up in... Paris for a big week of games where we'll take on the French, but also uh, our second stringers, I guess you'll call them, uh, we'll take on the French Barbarians. But let's focus on the test team. And, and Jamie, I'm going to start with you, mate. What can we expect from this French test? And you talk us through the French team, what you expect from the Aussie <laughs> team, whatever you think, mate.
2: Well, the French team will obviously be uh, 15 guys in blue, um, <laughs> you know, more or less like other weeks. Um, all all of whom play rugby. And that's well, do you know what, too. Jamie?
0: I think you were wrong last week. I'm pretty sure they played in white last week.
2: Yeah, but this week it's going to be blue, Reg. Uh, yeah. I can assure you it's definitely going to be blue. Um, <laughs> no, look, I mean, I think it's the match that we need. We do need a match that's a bit of a lower importance because it's not a Grand Slam game to sort of work out a couple of kinks. And two of those, I think, are sort of related. There's a question who's going to replace Adam Coleman, Adam Coleman, who I've got a bit of a man crush on because he's just so unbelievably <laughs> awesome. I mean, you know, the Tasmanian Tongan who can't like that. <laughs> That's um, right. Yeah. I'll come back to Adam Coleman in a second, but the other question is what we're going to do regarding the back row balance against Ireland and England. I mean, both of those teams are teams that have superb lineouts and love to frustrate you by winning some of your ball at the lineout And, I'm just not sure that that Hooper, Pocock, Tamani back row plus two locks without Adam Coleman is going to be one that Checker feels comfortable with at Twickenham and Lansdowne Road. I just think we might need another jumper in that back row, uh, which almost certainly will be Dean Mum somewhere fitting into that. And I think the French test will provide us an opportunity to uh, take some of those combinations for a spin and see, see what we can do there.
0: Yeah, look, I think that uh, that back rosary is pretty damn important, isn't it? Uh, the, it's one of the French strengths, or at least um, that's where they've got some real uh, quality with Louis Picamols. They're the number eight who was, uh, was super impressive. It's a great oppressive. name, isn't it? It is a great name. Um, Some of the
2: French players have extraordinary names. That's almost the best thing you can say about them. They're just just beautiful names.
0: (laughs) Yes, they always have. I'm always a big fan of Wesley Fofana too, who um, is another high-quality player, inside centre. So, look, you know, Uh, I think those two guys, their battles with you're assuming reese hodge playing 12 for the wallabies will be really significant that's probably the the toughest guy uh, hodges faced so far for farna in terms of quality and and pick moles up against um uh, tamani that's a they're two massive one-on-one battles with you know pretty experienced french guys with pretty inexperienced wallaby guys who will be uh, substantial to watch the french obviously coming off a pretty significant 52 to 8 win over samoa and, and they looked pretty handy it was a you know, it wasn't an overly impressive Samoan team, but uh, some good tries, some good clinical uh, play by the French. So we'll see what they bring out this weekend. Matt, what about you? Uh, some of those player changes that Jamie talked about, what, what's your expectation there? Well, look, I, um, first of all, with the French, about
1: all I know is that they had an absolutely shocking Six Nations, did they not? Didn't they kind of wrestle yeah, with yes. Italy to try and, you know, uh, pick up the uh, wooden spoon? So, um, look, they've obviously had, a you know, a bit of a, the dusting off against Samoa, um, but you would hope that there's still a bit of a rabble. Um, not that they might not be able to account for us, especially in, in Paris, which they usually play it at like, you know, eight or nine o'clock at night. So it's a real weird one, um, I think, for visiting teams. I know for every time I've gone to see the Aussies there, we've, we've managed to bloody lose it. Um, look, I, I don't think... I think Checker would be wanting to stay with the starting 15 anyway. I think he's going to try and stay as close as he can um, to the the lineup. He's kind of done that, you know, um, you know, through most big tournaments. And I I don't think he'd be seeing this as a, you know, uh, I don't know, like a, a, a weekend off in terms of selection. Um, I, so I totally agree with Jamie that I think one of the biggest headaches he's going to have is what to do with that um, locking pair, what to do with the line out. I think he'll just be kicking himself like I'm kicking myself, that Coleman's not going to be there. I think he was absolutely vital to what we saw in terms of the continuity um, of of breakdown and and ball possession in the Wales game. And I think we absolutely missed that um, last weekend. So I think you'd be thinking about that. I mean, with Simmons, you get somebody who obviously is a a good line-out operator. I understand he's good in the scrum, but he tends to go as many metres backwards as he does forwards in his, in his carries.
0: Um, I just checked his stats from the weekend, and he was the top wallaby ball carrier in the forwards with 10 metres. <laughs> he made – oh, sorry, with 10 runs yeah. um, and made two metres. Two metres.
2: Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, mean, I, think, I think Rob's going to get the nod for that slot. He he seems to have finally gotten the memo from Checker that he needs someone to be a bit more abrasive, and you can see him, like, increasing his work yeah. rate and, and, and trying to run the general. ball more. He just doesn't have the frame of of Coleman or even Arnold nah. to do it. And so it's a lot of ineffective carries, but at least he's, he's gotten the memo that if he doesn't do it, he's not going to be in the team. Yeah, So well, that's a good start.
1: I mean, he made like 14. I think he topped the tackle count. Yeah, he did. And the yeah. whole team, like, you know, um, even coming on slightly late. So, um, you know, look, you know, he's obviously working hard, but there's a difference between work rate and then, you know, effectiveness, right? And um, yeah I think and also he's the clear outs. I mean the number of times you see him kind of hanging on to somebody and then not moving um is is is, is a bit of a shocker so I think that's that 's the sort of thing that Checker would be really kicking himself about is you know that sort of effectiveness around the breakdown and the effectiveness in the in in the carries but you know really probably the biggest thing that he can checker can tweak with is probably the bench I would guess mm. um mm. You know, questions about how much Robertson um, added over and above um, Slipper. Um, I think yep. the, the scrum looked solid against the Scots, but it did before the changes as well. So, you know, probably Robertson gets the nod there. Does he Does he give? Um, I think he would imagine the French are going to try and mix it up in the pack. Um, so he, I, I'd be surprised if we're not talking about another sort of... Um, you know, six-two, six-two. You know, so in which case, you know, you never, you might, you never know. You even though everyone thinks he's played his last game in gold, you, you, you might even see Skelton back. Um, you know, if, if he wants to get some, if he wants to get some weight on the bench. So I probably think it's more about the bench that we'd probably be talking about here rather than the, the fifteen.
0: The other interesting name there, as I just saw before this podcast, is Sean McMahon is due back. Yeah. So he's been he's been injured for six weeks. I didn't realize he was on injured tour, but. So he's due back this weekend. I guess the question becomes whether he comes back via the bench, and he'd be a fantastic player to take on the French tiring. I reckon he'll he'll suit that game really well, or whether he hangs on and plays the Barbarians. I reckon they might see him through this week and and have him on the bench because I reckon they'll want him next week versus Ireland um, off the bench. And if he plays against the French Barbarians, I don't think he'll play against Ireland.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, Checker has got great has great love for him, so it'll be interesting to see. What they do there, like you say, I mean, Jamie, if they stick Mum in the starting side, then I, you know, that gives you some sort of. They're going to need some sort of back row cover, and Fardy yeah. definitely isn't.
0: Doesn't seem to be loved. No, God, good point. I forgot about him. All right, we're going to move yeah. on to our next question. Uh, question four. Um, given this is a bit of a break from the grandson, the French game doesn't count. So we're halfway right. through. We're two and zero. Uh, Matt, you frame the question you can answer it first will it be a grand slam or a grand flop <laughs> look mate. i want to be really I, I want
1: to be positive um but i think you know negative jonah or is it doubting jonah i can't remember
0: <laughs> I, I, think <laughs> I, we, I think we mix it up a bit
1: i can't remember my own catchphrase um yeah <laughs> i i, I oh, you know, I, I worry. I watched the most of the England-South um, Africa game um, on the weekend, and I just thought England looked just as tough and just as clinical, maybe even more so. I think Jones has been absolutely beasting them. Um, they are really, really comfortable in their skin. They know how they're going to play. I think they are an almost... This sounds bizarre, um, and I would love to be proved wrong on this, and I'll be hoping to God I am, but they look like like almost an insurmountable object for us um, in that final game at Twickenham. Um, there's going to be so much pressure on it if we manage to get there unbeaten. Um, thank God, I guess the Irish are going to absolutely go um, gangbusters against the the All Blacks, and those two teams are going to kill themselves to both try and win that match. Um, so that might, you know, luckily we might have, be able to kind of sort through the pieces. I just, I, you know, I really worry about that last test. Um, I. From what I saw on the weekend, I mean, I think, Jamie, you, you watched that match as well. I, I thought the the Poms looked like they, they're going to give us another lesson like they did down here.
2: Yeah, they were pretty effective. I mean, South Africa were very poor and have been very poor all year. And, you know, when we lost to them uh, in Pretoria, I was there and everyone left the stadium thinking the same thing, which was, wow, that was not a very good game of rugby. And secondly... How on earth did the Springboks manage to win that? I mean, they're they're really bad at the moment. They look totally disjointed. So I think that made England look good. Um, That said, I, I think we can execute the Grand Slam, but we need to make some of the major shifts in basic thinking that I think a lot of people on the forum have been crying out for all year that just haven't happened yet. Um, and the the odds of those happening in the next three weeks are pretty slim. So I think we'll probably be our own worst enemy and lose one of those games on, on balance, if I were a betting man, which I am.
0: It's it's interesting. It's actually been the, the perfect, and you alluded to it earlier, Jamie. The perfect build up for this tour to take on, a, you know, a pretty poor Wales out of the window, work your way up to a Scotland. We got France now, which is a a good sort of in between game between Scotland and, and, and the hard games, particularly given it's not really a Grand Slam. We, we or a test match. We want to win, obviously. Then we play. Gosh, you're right, mate. We play all in the week after they take the All Blacks. They should be shattered, either, if not physically, then emotionally, yeah. um, uh, one week later. And then we culminate in the English. It's actually the perfect tour to achieve what we want to achieve. Mm. In saying that, I can't see us doing it, but um, it'll, be a, it'll be a fun ride when we get there.
1: Yeah. Look, I mean, I
0: saw watching the Poms on
1: the weekend. Um, you're right, Jamie, the, the Saffirs didn't help themselves a lot. But there's stuff that the Poms are starting to get in their game, I haven't seen them do before. Um, like they're doing some really you know, tricky kind of uh, 22 dropouts to, to, to regain ball. It's, it's those kind of fine details you haven't seen them do before. Um, the other thing that they're starting to do, they're showing a very New Zealand-like ability to score on counter-attack and turnover ball. Um, you know, rather than okay, you know, that here's our chance to settle for a penalty or just kick to a corner, um, they're actually looking dangerous like that. So, yeah, they're, they're looking like a bit of a different beast. England. Um, they're also a real pain around the breakdown, um, which they hadn't. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think they'd been for a long time. They're very destructive. They don't. Um, you know, JB from the Egg Chasers and from the Rugby Dungeon interviews James Haskell. If you haven't Mm. listened to that, you should. JB doesn't have to Mm. talk talk much because basically Haskell (laughs) talks for an hour and a half nonstop. But they ask him the question, what is a number seven and what does a number seven do? And Haskell's answer is illuminating. Um, Absolutely fascinating as he talks through that. And actually for those Hooper haters... Um, that's one to listen to as well, because he basically tells you if you think it 's about being a fetcher, then um, yep. you've got to, you've, it's it 's not about that. It's about balance um, and I think they 've really got that going for England at the moment, so um, i as much as I hate to do it um, yeah uh, uh, but it to be sweet if we won it'd make it even sweeter
0: all right we'll we 're kind of moving already into question five, which is what was the biggest talking point from this massive international program in the weekend. Matt, you can answer first, but was it the fact that England showed a bit of skill in their rugby?
1: Yeah, look, I mean, they've been doing plenty of it, haven't they, this year? Um, so we shouldn't be surprised anymore. Um, and, geez, how that's building up to the next time they play uh, the All Blacks. which you Zealand. Yeah, which is, what, not next year, the year after? Um, yeah, I think 2018. so. Um, again, the mate I was having a beer with tonight said, just imagine if they managed to go undefeated until the next time they they see the All Blacks and you've got two teams who are maybe both on (laughs) 18 games undefeated or something. Um, Yeah, so they're really, really building up. I thought that was amazing. Look, there was something else that happened on the weekend and look, you know we don't pull punches on this podcast. Um, And that was... Or on Twitter. Yeah, that was the Maori All Blacks, um, you know, with the Haka And, yeah, there was a bit of a stout on Twitter. It wasn't me personally driving the Twitter account at that (laughs) time, I must say. And I was a bit surprised to see it. But um, the idea did strike me as well, which was, would that magnanimous gesture, which I must say kind of brought a tear to the eye when you watched it. Yeah, wonderful. Would that have happened if all that kerfuffle around the all-black haka the week before hadn't happened? And... I don't – I'm not sure it would have because I've never seen that happen before. I've never seen the All Blacks or anyone um, adul- adulterate their haka. Um,
0: or for, present for, an All Black jersey to someone else, absolutely.
1: Exactly, with their initials on the back. So, look, at the end of the day, a beautiful, a beautiful gesture. I just kind of wonder, was that really – did that really happen all on its own? Or was there some sort of a – I don't know, a reflection on the, the what's happened the previous week's
0: not something that those sorts of things happen in the change rooms after games often, isn't it? Instead of in the middle when all the cameras are watching, but
1: there's quite a few of these things building up now, isn't there? Like all these photo yeah. ops, you know. Um, I'm just surprised Sonny Bill wasn't out there delivering it.
0: Yeah, <laughs> um, exactly right. Yeah,
1: <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah, I mean, look, you know, I guess sport has become, you know, it's big business and big
0: entertainment now. It's a brand, um, Jamie. What about you, mate? What caught the eye? There's, there was so much international rugby on uh, this weekend. Past what what caught the eye from your perspective?
2: It was the Wales Argentina game. Um, Wales actually won that. I, I agree yeah. with what we talked. I mean, Wales were awful last week. I mean, I think we should have beaten them by by fifty points. They were just terrible. Um, and it was nice to actually play them when they were at first match on the tour when they were playing so badly. But then they turned around and actually put together a half-decent performance against Argentina, um, and won by four points, 24 to 20. And that was very surprising. I mean, Argentina have looked really, really good at times this year, and I just would have thought they would have had way too much for Wales um, in terms of their offloading game, in terms of their ability to play high-paced rugby. But they really fluffed their lines, and Wales did a couple of smart things, and they kicked their goals, and, yeah, won by four points. Um, a bit of an upset, I would have thought.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think I tipped Argentina. Actually, I think I had them in a multi with the uh, the Irish getting over the All Blacks this weekend. So I'm, this wasn't the game I was expecting to lose that on, unfortunately. Um, uh, look, mine was, and it's not a game I saw and I, I haven't seen any highlights, but just um, Tier 2 Rugby, which is a Twitter account. Sort of is a great gives great coverage to these games, and it was Germany getting over Uruguay, 24-21. So you know Uruguay have obviously been in the last few World Cups and performed you know pretty admirably, but Germany, who I've only heard snippets about, and probably seen more on um, from a sevens perspective, uh, snagging a win there. I thought that was remarkable, and 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 we're this- watching. I think you're watching too
2: much rugby, Reg. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, for I remember hearing these stories of during the World Cup that Germany actually had ratings, I think, for one of the finals or one of the prelim games, must be one of the finals, that was there's more people watching the final in Germany than there was in Australia, which maybe is more <laughs> indicative of what's happening in Australia at the moment. But, you know, maybe there's another groundswell there and who knows, maybe Germany and China will be facing up for a World Cup final in 20 years' time.
1: But it's their popular fly half, Hans Gruber. Uh, <laughs> or, or, or Booby, as he's known in the team, uh, who, yeah, he's, he's
2: inspiring him to those wins. So, uh, yeah, doing well. Good to see him just, going. J- just to sort of talk about what we saw this week from our upcoming opponents, Ireland and England. I think, you know, to beat those teams, you actually have to do much of the same thing. And part of that is we've got to actually realise that we can play Northern Hemisphere rugby really well. Um, our scrum has actually become a real weapon, um, even though the, the Scottish tighthead was allowed to bind, like, under CO's armpit yeah. uh, for the whole of the match on the weekend. But this, the scrum is a real weapon, and we can kick to the corner and execute good mauls. And I think we've just got to be – that was one of the things that we did at the lineup at, at the World Cup last year was we just – played basic Northern Hemisphere rugby and then topped it up with Southern Hemisphere flair and that was a combination that the Northern Hemisphere teams really struggled to deal with and we need to be okay with that the other thing we've got to do better to beat Ireland and to beat England especially is convert pressure into points, those teams can execute nice first phase moves and we've seen both of them in the last couple of weeks but they're overcoached and they don't like coming from behind where they have to force the play, they prefer you to play into them and I think we just need to take those three points and even learn to take the drop goals and put them behind on the scoreboard.
1: Yeah, put the pressure, put the, put
2: the pressure back I, on them. Exactly. Make them make the running.
0: Yeah indeed and, and and that's uh let's see hope we see some of that from the wallabies on the field this week versus France massive weekend of rugby obviously Australia France like we say Sunday morning but obviously the Ireland versus the All Blacks the rematch we've been waiting for is just huge and that'll be an epic encounter for you all to see uh, a very uh late sh- uh, shout out to Charlotte Caslick the uh the Australian women's seven star who was named the world Women's 7th Player of the Year Award, um, in a very much deserving presentation uh, and, and naming there. A wonderful effort by Charlotte, anyone who watched her this year, uh, probably knew that was a bit of a lay down was there, uh, she's been absolutely outstanding, and just watching her on the the highlights packages we've seen this week, I can't wait for the uh, the World Series to start, which is only a couple of weeks away uh, for the 7th, so yeah. exciting stuff.
1: A bunch of no-names won the rest of them, so it was good to see her get up there and <laughs> Deservedly take that.
0: Exactly right. The only uh, all you need to know is that Fiji didn't win team uh, or coach of the year, which is uh, terrible news. Um, but Jamie, thanks for joining us. I know it's early early hours over there in the states, mate. But we're much appreciating you having you on the show.
2: Not at all. Always a pleasure.
1: Yeah, you need to get back to building that wall, mate.
2: Oh God, <laughs> are we to- are we talking about the Australian defensive line or? Uh... <laughs> uh.
0: Lovely. And, Matt, thanks to you, mate. Uh, We look forward to catching up next week. And to all our listeners, thanks for listening.